You ready? Okay. Come on up. What I want you to do is just come up, come down the center aisle or the side aisle, whichever one, and just take a rock back to your table, or back to your table, uh, off the table. Take a rock off the table and take it back to your seat, and then kind of get to know your rock a little bit. Kind of touch your rock and, and uh, see how it feels. Okay? Now, I realize that it's kind of a dangerous thing to give rocks to an audience. <laughs> We're not testing your throwing abilities today. And this may seem a little strange. I do things like this every once in a while. Absolutely. So, yeah, if, you, if, you, if someone asked you to give their, get them a rock, make sure you get one for them, too. <laughs> so we've got some rocks, some stones. And we're going we're gonna to use these in, in a little while, but I want you to, to kind of, you know, hold on to your rock for a little bit and get to know it a little bit and maybe name it if you need to. You know, I don't know. You may like your rock a lot, but just, yeah, hold on to that for just a little bit. And uh, no, we're not passing out tomatoes, especially canned, especially canned tomatoes. Thanks, Dad. Appreciate that. So get to know your rock a little bit. Take a look at it. Feel it. You know, touch it. What what temperature is it? You know, is it warm? Is it cold? Is it uh, the more you handle it, the more you hold it in your hand? Is it getting cold? Is it getting warmer? Is it smooth? Is it jagged? You know, what kind of rock do you have in your hand? Here's a dangerous question. How far do you think you could throw that rock? <laughs> Hopefully not from the back row. You know, stones are kind of, well, stones are kind of cold. And they're, they're dead. Really, they're dead. There's nothing on it. Maybe some bacteria that's living, but the stone itself is dead. Stones are kind of unfeeling. When you're little, when you're younger, and you have a stone in your hand, and you're standing at the edge of, like, let's say, Lake Michigan or a, or a stream or something, you try and skip the stone as many times as you can across the water, right? How many of you have ever done that? Skip the stone on the water? Absolutely. When we're children, we sing a little rhyme. Sticks and stones may break my, but words will never hurt me. <laughs> we grow up and find out that that's not true. That's a lie. David and Goliath. What did David use to slay the giant? Stone. Used a stone. We, um, we think about Pilate and how he rolled a large stone in front of the tomb to try and keep Jesus in and keep other people out. And God rolled the stone away on the third day, and Jesus was raised back to life. We use these kinds of stones, stones like this. These are for decorating and landscaping, right? Uh, I, I got these at Menards, a couple bucks for a 50-pound bag, a very heavy 50-pound bag of stones. I'm, I'm kind of a wimp, and so it was a struggle to get out the store. Um, we use stones to pave, to pave streets, to pave alleys. We use stones to build walls. Think of Hadrian's Wall in Europe where they use stones to build up walls. If you roll a stone, it will gather no moss, right? 
if you rock and roll a stone, you can't get no satisfaction. A no, no, no. A hey, hey, hey. That's what I say. If you live in a glass house, you shouldn't throw stones. So why all this talk about rocks? Why all this talk about stones? That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to look at a story as we continue in our sermon series called Face to Face. We're going to continue. We're going to talk about a story about some stones today. We've been on Sunday mornings in this teaching series. We've been talking about different conversations that Jesus had with people face to face, specifically in the book of John. Uh, The first Sunday, uh, we talked about Jesus and Mary Magdalene. And Jesus and Mary Magdalene had a face to face conversation after Jesus was raised from the dead. And Jesus knew Mary's name. And when he said her name, it brought her great comfort for Jesus was alive. We talked about Jesus and Nicodemus in John chapter 3. We talked about how Nicodemus was a seeker, and he was seeking the truth. And sure enough, he came to Jesus in order to find it. And Jesus uttered those famous words in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Then we talked about uh, Jesus and Peter. After Jesus' resurrection, and Peter had denied knowing Jesus three times, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me three times? And he reinstates Peter to a place of grace. Today, we're also looking at the book of John. And we're going to look at John chapter 8. We're talking about throwing stones. But not just anyone throwing stones. We're talking about the guilty throwing stones. We're all guilty stone throwers from time to time. We throw stones when we shouldn't. And Jesus knows. See, Jesus knows those deepest, darkest places of our souls. He knows the deepest, darkest places of our hearts. He knows the sins that we commit. And not only does he know, we know too. We know those things that we struggle with. We know those sins that we have a hard time with. We know those addictions and those troubles and those sins. If you'll grab your Bible, turn to John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. We're going to look at this passage of Scripture. It's quite a famous story, actually. Now, scholars, there may be a note in your Bible that says something about how the earliest manuscripts and many other ancient witnesses do not have this passage It's not really a debate in in the scholarly world as to whether the story really happened or not. It's believed that the story actually took place. They're just not sure that this is where it took place in the chronology of John's gospel. But there's little doubt that this story actually took place. It's in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, and we're going to read through that passage in just a moment. And also, if you have your bulletin, if you could turn to page 3 on your bulletin, you can find the handy-dandy outline, and we'll fill in some blanks in just a moment. As we talk about guilty stone throwers, the guilty throwing stones. Grab your Bible, turn to John 8, starting in verse 1. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. 
The first blank on your outline is, a very, is these are one-word blanks. The first blank on your outline is caught. Caught. Think about that phrase for just a moment. She was caught in the act of adultery. She was caught in the act of adultery. She's not being accused of adultery. She was caught in the act of adultery. Now think about what that means. That means that the teachers of the law and the Pharisees knew what was going on. They knew what was happening, and they rushed in to this, whoever's house this is, they rush in to this person's house while they are in the act of adultery, and they grab her, and they drag her out of the house, and they throw her before Jesus. And they make her stand there among everyone. They drag her out, in the fe- out, out uh, into the street, and they make her stand before Jesus. Now, she had been caught. I mean, she was caught. There's no denying it. Was she set up? I believe that she was. And, and it makes me wonder, how long had this been going on? How long did the Pharisees and the teachers of the law know about this? We're going to find out in a second why they did what they did in the next passage that we look at. But she had been set up. And so the question is, if, if she had been set up, why were they waiting? Why did the Pharisees and the teachers of the law wait until this moment? Why did they wait until now to grab her and to throw her at Jesus' feet and make her stand in front of the whole group? Could you imagine this commotion? Can you imagine the commotion of what was happening? Could you imagine the terror in her heart, the fear in her heart, her heart racing as they drag her out into the street? She is frightened as she faces the angry uh, stares of her accusers. She was scared. Her heart heart pounded. How many of you have ever been caught? How many of you have ever been caught speeding? We'll we'll use this example. How many of you have ever been caught speeding? I've been caught speeding. I've told you the story before how I was caught speeding in the state of Wisconsin, haven't I? Let me tell you again, just in case you don't remember. Fourth of July weekend, 2003. We're driving home from visiting Northwest Indiana. My family gets together for the 4th of July. That's like one of our two big blowouts of the year. We, we do 4th of July. We do Christmas Eve. Okay, So it's 4th of July, 2003, and we, we, we're, I'm, we, we were living in Minnesota. Shannon and I were living in Minnesota. We drive down for the weekend, and uh, we have a great time with the family. We're going back. I'm tired. I'm worn out. I'm exhausted. As torn out, torn out, as worn out, tired, exhausted people often do, I want to get home, and I'm going to get there quickly. It's a nine-and-a-half-hour drive from Crown Point to Forest Lake, Minnesota. Nine-and-a-half hours. That's a lot of driving. I was tired. I was worn out. I was exhausted. I just want to get home. Traffic, as it would be on the 4th of July weekend, is thick. Because not only do I want to get home, everybody wants to get home. So we're driving north uh, up, I believe it was I-94, and we're going all the way through Wisconsin. And, and here's, here's just a little tip, a little tip from your Uncle Sean. When driving in Wisconsin, thou shalt not speed. Thou shalt not speed. Why? Because state troopers up there are like mosquitoes, okay? State troopers on the interstate are like mosquitoes. They're everywhere, just everywhere. So we're driving north, and all of a sudden, red, white, and blue, red, white, and blue, red, white, and blue. 
I look in my rearview mirror and I'm like, man, I feel bad for the guy he's going to get. I look down at my speedometer. I'm doing about three miles per hour. And all of a sudden I realize he was pulling me over. So I pull over. He comes up. How fast do you think you were going? Uh, I, I was, you know, I, I was going. I try to rationalize. I'm going with the flow of traffic. I'm doing what everybody else is doing. Now, how many of you have ever said that? I'm just going with the flow of traffic. I've got to I've got to save lives by doing 90 miles an hour in Chicago. <laughs> I'm just going with the flow of traffic. I will injure people if I don't. So he says you were doing 80 miles an hour. I was actually doing 83. So he was there was a little bit of grace there. And uh, $212.68 later, I'm on my merry way, not speeding the rest of the trip to Wisconsin, seeing angry looks from people like, why aren't you going faster? Dude, if you knew what just happened to me, I got caught. And there's something happens that when we get caught, uh, especially speeding, right? What happens when those you see those little lights going? Your heart starts to race a little bit, get that sick feeling in the pit of your stomach, right? Oh, man. What happens? It's going to go on my record. And it's gonna, i got to pay a fine, and i got to do this. i got to take a class. You know, all these things go through your mind, and your heart is bracing, and your stomach is sick. <sighs> when we get caught, it's a scary feeling. Those, we know. We know about those dark, ugly places in our souls. We know about those evil, wicked sins in our hearts. And it causes, when we feel like we're going to get caught, when we're afraid of getting caught, it causes our hearts to race. Even walking in here on a Sunday morning may cause your heart to race. It may cause your pulse to go up. It may cause your stomach to turn and to turn. Is this going to be the day they find out? Is this going to be the day that everybody discovers that I am not who I say I am? Is this going to be the day that everyone finds out that I am a sinner? Is this going to be the day they discover that I say the things that I shouldn't say? Is this going to be the day that they discover that I'm angry and that I'm bitter? Is this going to be the day that they find out that I have a terrible temper? Is this going to be the day they find out that I'm an addict? Is this going to be the day they find out that I'm a terrible sinner? Is today going to be the day that I get What is everyone going to think when they find out I am something other than I'm not? I, I heard Steve Brown. He's one of my favorite preachers. He has a radio show called Key Life out of Key West, Florida. And one of my favorite things that he says is, if you knew me, and he's quoting somebody else, and I don't know who he's quoting, but I, I attribute the quote to him. If you knew me, I mean, if you really knew me, he says, you wouldn't want me to be your pastor. And then he says, if I knew you like you know you, I wouldn't want you to be in my congregation. We know ourselves all too well. We know ourselves all too well. And if, if other people knew that, if we were to get caught, that'd be a horrible thing. That'd be terrible. What would they think? <laughs> what does God think? That's a scary thought. That'll set your stomach to churning right now. Well, let's continue. John chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. We'll get to more of this in just a second. Uh, this is the teachers of the law and the Pharisees say to Jesus, In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? 
They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. The law says this woman deserves death. She was condemned to die. That's the second blank on your outline. Condemned. Condemned. In Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, it says, If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. Both are to be put to death. So not just her, but the one she is committing adultery with as well. Now, here's my question. Where's the guy? Where's the adulterer? We know where the adulteress is. Where's the guy? Where's the adulterer? Why is she alone? Well, we find out from John that this is all part of an elaborate trap for Jesus. The woman, she was just a pawn. She was collateral damage. That's all she was. They didn't care about her. They didn't care. They're trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to get Jesus to, to commit to something. They're trying to get him to say something that is going to uh, betray the fact that he is the son of God. They didn't really care about her. They wanted Jesus. And so if Jesus says, stone her, that's what the law says. You know what the law says, stone her. All of a sudden now, where's the message of love and grace? Oh, Jesus, how can you be the Messiah? How can you be the Son of God? What happened to your message of love? You want us to stone her? Or if Jesus says, let her go. If Jesus says, it doesn't matter, let her go. Well, where's your regard for the law? Why aren't you following? The, you're breaking the law. How can you be the Messiah if you're going to break the law? See, Jesus is stuck between a rock and a hard place. Jesus is trapped, or so they think. He's in a no-win situation. Perhaps you stand accused this morning. The, the enemy of your soul, the Bible says that the enemy of your soul stands before God accusing you day and night. In uh, Revelation chapter 12, it says that the devil is an accuser standing before God accusing the brothers and sisters day and night. You know. You know your sins. I, I, I know my sins. You feel the weight of guilt and shame every time you do it. I feel the, 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 the weight of guilt and shame every time I... I sin in the ways that I do. I'm a sinner. I know it. You're a sinner. You know it. Every time you look at that website, you feel the shame that comes along with it. Every time you have one too many, the guilt washes over you. you every time you scream at your kids, every time you yell at your spouse, you feel that remorse instantly. You go to the casino and you lose another paycheck. And you wonder, why can't I stop? You lie about where you've been. I wasn't there. or No, I, I went there instead. You lie about where you've been. And you wonder, when am I going to get caught? It's only a matter of time. I'm going to be caught and I'm going to be condemned. They are going to pick up stones and demand condemnation and death. What will happen when that day comes? What will they say? What would Jesus say? Let me tell you what he'd say. This is how the story finishes. Look at John 8, 7 through 11. 
When they kept on questioning him, what do you say, Jesus? He straightened up and said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. And neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. The last blank on your outline is cleared. Cleared. See, Jesus turns everything upside down. He does not accuse her. He does not condemn her to death. Rather, he sends her accusers away. He turns the tables on them. They're ready to throw stones. And what's he doing? He's scribbling in the sand. Scholars have debated and wondered for two millennia, what was he writing? What could he possibly have written in this? He bends down and just writes in the sand. What was he writing? There's all kinds of theories and speculation. But you know what? We don't know. And it's obviously not important enough for John to tell us Jesus was writing this or Jesus was writing that. So it doesn't really matter. What matters is that her accusers dropped their stones and walked away. It was powerful enough. Whatever Jesus wrote was powerful enough to make them drop their stones. And then Jesus and the adulteress have a face-to-face conversation. And he asks her two questions. First question is, where are they? And then he asks her, has no one condemned you? Those who are thirsty for blood walk away unsatisfied. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. Jesus knows. He knows. He knows you've sinned. He knows that I've sinned. The Bible says that he never knew sin, but he became sin for us instead. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, that through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have been set free, we have been saved, we have been forgiven, our sins have been washed away, that God took all of our sins and he heaped them upon Jesus on the cross. And when Jesus died on the cross, our sins died with him. And they are gone. We bear them no more. Praise the Lord. We are no longer standing condemned. Jesus, though, he didn't die on the cross to give us a free pass to sin. He did not die on the cross so that we could have a license to sin. You know how James Bond has a license to kill? 007, you are not 006 with a license to sin. We're not. We do not have a license to just sin willy-nilly as though it doesn't matter or though it doesn't cost him anything. He didn't release the woman. He didn't rescue the woman to allow her to sin. Instead, he calls her to repentance. And he calls us to repent too. Whatever that secret sin is of yours, whatever that secret sin is that is haunting you, that is, that is driving you crazy, that is uh, nagging at you, that is gnawing at you, Jesus knows about it. And he's not here to condemn you. He's not here to stone you. He came to forgive you. And if you will put your faith in Jesus, if you will trust him for salvation, the Bible says it's real easy to do that. 
If you will believe in him as the son of God, if you will repent from sin and turn away from sin and turn to God for forgiveness, if you will confess your faith and if you will be baptized, you will be saved. Jesus will wash away your sins. He will cleanse you for all eternity. He will wash away your sins and forgive you and you will stand before him one day forgiven. Not condemned. You know, the funny thing is, is that we're all afraid of getting stoned. Yet we've all got stones in our hands. We're all guilty. We're all guilty. You know, we're ready to accuse someone as the Pharisees and teachers of the law accused this woman. We're ready to accuse, we're ready to condemn, we're ready to stone someone else. But yet we're all guilty. This is what I want you to do with your stone. I want you to come down here in just a few minutes. We're going to play a song. And on the table, are, you may have seen these, these, there are markers, okay? And I want you to write on your stone, okay? And what I want you to write, I want you to write one of two things. I want you to write, I want you to write two things. The first thing is, I want you to write down the first letter of your secret sin. What is that thing that you struggle with? What is that addiction you can't let go of? What is that sin that you can't shake? Just write down the first letter. Okay? So you can write that letter on your stone. On the other side of the stone, you see, it's not just enough to be forgiven and go, okay, I'm cool. Me and God are cool. When we are forgiven, we are called to forgive. Is there someone that you are standing in accusation over? Is there someone that you are standing in condemnation over this morning that you can't forgive, that you can't let go, you can't forget about what they've done to you, you can't forgive them and release them? I want you to write down the initial of their first name. Or if, if that's not your issue, if there's, there's one other thing you can write down. If there is a sin that you stand in judgment over, that you stand in condemnation over, you look at somebody and go, I can't stand those people who do that. I can't stand these people who do this. I don't like that sin so much that I, I can't accept those people. I want you to write down the first letter of that sin on the other side. So what I want you to do is on one side, I want you to write down that letter of your sin. And on the other side, I want you to write down the letter of their sin. And then, I want you to drop your stone. How's that feel? It's time to let it go. Drop it. And don't pick it back up. That's the key. Leave it here. Let his grace wash over you. And let your grace wash over someone else. Be merciful and forgiving and drop that.